This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Emily Sokol, Director of Research at Extelligent Healthcare Media. Today we're joined by Ken Peach, Executive Director at Health Council of East Central Florida. Today we'll be talking with Ken about his organization and its connection to value-based care. Welcome, Ken. Uh, Thank you, Emily. Look forward to uh, the opportunity to talk to you today. So, Ken, to start, can you just give our listeners some background about your organization, what you do, and how it ties into value-based care? Certainly. There are 11 local health councils that cover the state of Florida, originally um, established back in 1982. What makes us unique is that we're nonprofit organizations. We're not state agencies. And as a result of that, Uh, Each of us has to determine a way to um, uh, provide service to our community based on what we find in our needs assessments. So a number of years ago, we were doing needs assessment for our community, and we began to identify the numbers of individuals that were um, generally elderly, but were experiencing chronic conditions, um, health conditions in their home. And coincidentally, many years ago, when I was in New Jersey, um, I was a volunteer first responder. And so I've always looked at how we can bring healthcare into the home. So we applied in 2016 for a grant and received that grant from the Florida Blue Foundation to set up a different type of community paramedicine program. So unlike most community paramedicine programs, which are EMS based, Um, Ours is not. Um, What we do instead is work with individual physicians in our community who do some type of a risk assessment, and they say, okay, this patient's at high risk for maybe hospital readmission, high risk for congestive heart failure, COPD, chronic kidney disease, diabetes, whatever it happens to be. And I would like to have one of these paramedics follow up and take care or monitor that patient over time. And so we get the referral and that begins the process that I'll describe today uh, that's been very successful at uh, reducing emergency department use, reducing hospital admissions initially, and also hospital readmissions. That sounds awesome. Can you dive a little bit into who you're partnering with, how you identify partners, or they payers, providers, and what that whole system looks like? Fortunately, I spent a number of years consulting with a medical group um, that uh, was doing a lot of value-based medicine back before the term value-based was uh, was popular. Uh, they were doing global capitation for a group of about 8,000 patients. So I had a chance in working with that medical group to recognize the strength of this model versus a fee-for-service model. And in looking at that, I began to um, recognize as well how important it was from a both a patient satisfaction level, the prevention of uh, medical procedures and advancing illness that might be avoided this way, and certainly the financial implications as well, that it made sense to look at, um, at addressing those needs. So in talking to that group, Once we got our grants going for our paramedics, and we started with just one in 2017, uh, today we're uh, actually in the process right now, we're approaching 12 um, that we have in the Central Florida area, and we've gone from one to about seven counties at this point in time. And what we recognized that we could find and partner with organizations that had Medicare Advantage contracts, 
So these would be large physician groups. Similarly, large physician groups that were in accountable care organizations. Some large physician groups that are just independent physicians in the community and some that are hospital affiliated but have ACOs or some other value-based model behind them. And so that's the group that we've been focusing our attention on in the last few years. And our partners include very large groups, again, mostly across multiple counties. And that's one of the reasons why we've been expanding as we have been. Right. How do you find the large health systems, hospitals, ACOs that you're partnering with? Do they come to you? Do you go to them? What do those beginning conversations look like? Uh, Some come to us, but most of them we find. And the way we do that is I'm a very a significant reader, and I'm constantly reading and anything that I see about a group that might be in our area or somewhere in the state of Florida that's doing this type of uh, value-based approach, I generally will reach out to them and I will provide them with some information. Uh, I will probably talk a little bit later about return on investment. So we found a tool that we can provide that says, here, look at your own data and look what we can do. If you look at paramedicine uh, from the basic ground up in terms of who's out there providing care, you have community health workers, generally non-clinical individuals with the strength and ability to be trained to help avoid a disease state, or, you know, to, to do some self-care education and so forth. You have medical assistants, and they generally, if they're on the clinical side versus the business side and the medical practice, have some limited ability as well. However, when you get to community paramedics, the bandwidth on a paramedic is significant uh, in terms of their education. And they're also trained not only in the clinical, but they're also trained in site evaluation. So when you they go into a home, uh, it's amazing. They will look at everything. Uh, they'll look at all the aspects of the safety of the home in addition to the clinical state of the, the patient themselves. Um, and as a result of that, we find they discover a great many things that the physicians themselves will never be able to see, the things that don't show up or are not mentioned in a clinical visit. And so as a result of that, that's what's made this so popular. And once it gets popular, then other uh, groups have also come to us to answer your question. And they say, hey, we hear this is working. What are you doing? And is this something that we could take advantage of? So you have the ability to really look at the social determinants of health in a patient too, because you're in the patient's home, you're seeing is there food in the pantry, do they have air conditioning, et cetera. That's all, those are all the things that we see. And unfortunately, some of these stories are really sad. I mean, we had one patient who was in her wheelchair, wheelchair bound in the home, and she had a rope uh, tied to the front door because her door lock was broken. And the only security she had during the day was sit there with this rope tied to the front door. So when our paramedic discovered that, they went out, bought the new locking mechanism and and put a new lock on the door. We had one even worse than that. We had one who was rotating through one of the local emergency departments. The hospital in this case called us and said, can you take a look at this? Paramedic went out, bought some food because the woman didn't have any food in her apartment, uh, but noticed uh, during the visit that there seemed to be a lot of people hanging around. Came back two days later and all the food except for one can of soup was gone. And he knew that she couldn't possibly have eaten all this herself. And these other people were hanging around. Come to find out that they were squatters who had moved in, were eating all her food, taking her money um, and living in the next door apartment and hers. So we could report that as elder abuse. We could get the landlord working on it. And lo and behold, there are no more rotations through the emergency department. So it's amazing what we'll find when we're out there. Absolutely. Now, how are you going about identifying these patients? You talked about the hospital called you in this one instance, but typically how do you find these high-risk patients? 
What makes our organization or our model different? In the state of Florida, there are paramedics come up under EMS in the state regulations, as you would certainly expect. They also come up under the health department. In fact, we've lost a couple of our really good paramedics to the local health department. However, their health department directors on my board, so I can't complain. Um, however, um, what we do is, aside from those roles, the state of Florida allows a physician to oversee paramedics. Um, now, that always occurs in an EMS. They always have a medical director of some sort. But in our case, if we have 20 patients out right now, we can have 20 medical directors because they're all responding or reporting back. So the physician or the medical office uh, will make the referral. Now, who do they refer to? We have one particular um, client that has 21,000 uh, individuals under one Medicare Advantage plan. So how do you choose with 21,000? We only have two paramedics. So what they do is they look at some type of a risk evaluation model. AAFP has a really nice model that stages diseases. So we look at that. We use that quite often. And we try and assist the, a medical practice if they don't have their own risk evaluation model to implement something so that those that we're getting are those that have the greatest need. So that would be either those with severe chronic conditions and comorbidities, or it could be those that are getting close to that. You know, they have the initial chronic disease and the practice is worried about that. It's advancing. Uh, so in that case, they'll go ahead and make a referral for us. Now I want to loop back, Ken, you had hinted at return on investment. And I think that's something that we see a lot on the value-based care side that's really, really important, especially in these partnerships for value-based care. I can imagine the hospitals, health systems, provider groups you're partnering with want to see that there's going to be a return on, on this investment. Intuitively, in, in my opinion, hearing the, the impact that you're able to have, even just on a social determinants of health side of things, sounds incredible. But I, I know that people want to see the numbers. So how are you going about calculating return on investment? What's that look like? Sure. Let me give you a quick story first. We have a client that has about 350 patients that they have going into the hospital at least four times a year. And they said to us, wait a minute, now based on your model, um, a one hour visit is $50. So we could do one visit a week for 52 weeks for $2,600. That's one avoided emergency department visit. I mean, look at the potential there, paying up front on a preventive basis as opposed to paying for all of these episodes. However, I had to find a way to mathematically help our potential clients to be able to see this. And I have a son who's a CPA who told me, oh, you got to show ROI. And, and I said, well, that's fine. But how do I show ROI on something I'm trying to reduce or eliminate? So I did some homework. And if everybody goes out online and does a search, they'll find a risk reduction ROI. It's a little bit more sophisticated formula, but it allows you by entering four data points, including the likelihood of reduction, the cost of each episode, how many episodes you're having, and what's the cost of the initial investment you're making with, in this case, with us. You can calculate, and just for example, the one I just told you, even if you only counted a hospitalization at $14,000, which is probably nowhere near what it might be, um, right there, the investment on that one of a dollar returned $18 and change. So um, that formula is what we make available, and we say, go ahead, load your own information into it, and that pretty well shows that that 
preliminary investment on the front end certainly pays off overall. And be a partner with the, the providers to use their own data to insert into this tool, right? Yeah, we one of those data points is ours, but the other three data points are pretty much theirs. And so we work with them. Fortunately, being a health planning agency, uh, that's what the local health councils do. We have a planner. And we've now assigned her full time to take the data that we're getting from our EMR and to provide standard reports out to all of our medical group clients. Uh, and then we can also customize. So we can look at how many of your cardiac patients had a hospitalization, but they also had diabetes. I mean, we can overlay a lot of data. And that's where we're moving is a much more ability to provide sophisticated reports back to our medical groups. I can imagine that that's got to help with your relationships as well. The, the transparency there helps to build a certain level of trust with your partners as well. You're not hiding any of your data and how you're calculating things. It's, it's right there for them. Right. We actually had a meeting with one last week and they were turning around showing us the data because we don't always see the whole picture. You know, if, if our paramedic is maintaining a relationship with a patient, this can be 30, 60, 90 days or more, same paramedic. And that's the, the key here is building a relationship with the patient. So in the process of that, though, we might not see that something else was occurring, whereas they obviously have the data themselves, the medical group. So they actually put it together. We went in and we were shocked to see that they had indicated that in the first six months of our program, we had cut their medical expense for their patients in half. It was absolutely incredible. So we're seeing some significant reductions. If you look at our Medicare fee-for-service readmission rate in our communities is around anywhere between 19 and 22%, depending on the county. We're running same cause readmissions at uh, 6% or lower. Uh, so that's, that's another number that we use when we go out to look for additional client uh, medical groups. That's awesome and, and great numbers to be promoting as well. Mm -hmm. I want to circle back Ken, you had initially started talking about when I when I asked you to give a rundown of your organization, you talked about that you initially started with grant funding and then you moved to be basically self-sustaining. I think that's an area that a lot of nonprofit organizations really struggle with in making that transition so that they're not reliant on grants. How'd you do it? <laughs> Emily, I'll tell you, that was the, the toughest one year I think I've had in my life was trying to get us weaned off grants. So we, we originally not just got one grant, but I, and I'm not a grant writer, but I think I had a great topic of interest. So we were able to write in the first year, five grants, totaling $800,000 to pilot this concept over a two to three year period. But as those grants began to run out, um, I had to try and convince these organizations that had been getting some of them a free ride on these grants to go ahead and make an investment. And so it took me the better part of 12 months to be able to do that, to be able to say, and, and the funny thing is we're dealing with this. I have a call this afternoon with a hospital that had funded part of this that is now losing part of it and wants to come back to the table. How are we going to make this work long term? So it took a little while for that transition. It's not an easy transition to get it off grants. So grants are a fine way to start a program, but long-term, they're not sustainable. We look at them as venture capital. What can we do with that to, to prove a concept and then convert? So today we're at about, I would say, no more than 15 to 20% uh, grant. We have one actually grant that's in its fourth year. It's been renewed twice at the request of the organization itself, the funder. Um, but aside from that, all of ours now are uh, basically contracted work that we do for the value-based uh, community. That's awesome. And I think a big point that a lot of organizations can learn from, because I think that's a big area that a lot struggle with, is how do we stop being reliant on grants? Because a lot of people don't want to be. They're awesome starting points, but 
not sustainable long term. That's true. And and um, our board has basically said, look, you know, we look to you as a future funder ongoing revenue stream. So we're looking at ways to replicate ourselves, um, at least in the state of Florida, because it makes sense for us to do that. And whatever comes back from that, and we do have an administrative fee component that all comes back to our nonprofit. So there's a benefit all the way around because it also benefits the community here in the metro Orlando area. Absolutely. The last question I have for you, Ken, is a little bit more big picture. You know, what are some of the key challenges that you're seeing in these value-based contracts and in the pursuit towards more value-based care? And how are you and your partners working to overcome them? Well, I think one, to your point, Emily, earlier, is that we have to keep proving our value. So one of the goals there is to make sure that we are constantly, as I shared, measuring, looking at ways to report back what we're doing and share that information back with our clients. And again, fortunate to have a health planner who can build these uh, models for us and these standard reports as well as custom reports. I think the second thing is that you can't sit still. Uh, Anybody that's watching what's going on around the country sees the growing expansion of the hospital at home model. And as that's occurring, most of those entities that are doing that are using paramedics. So our goal is to make sure that we have trained paramedics who can step into that role very quickly as those organizations and those focuses expand by the hospitals. And it's highly likely, uh, from what I was reading last night, that we'll see an expansion because CMS has approved a lot of waivers under our current situation, but they expect that that may, may continue. What else can we do with this? Another one is the entire area of self-insured companies, large companies that are self-insured that are totally at risk. So it's a similar risk model. And we've been uh, handling actually the healthcare, chronic care needs for employees of the large hotels around Universal Studios on an international drive, the tourist corridor in Orlando for over a year now, uh, testing the waters to see if that will work as well. The other one is, um, what about those people who graduate from our program? Everyone who comes out of our program receives a graduation certificate. Uh, We measure patient satisfaction using NPS at that time, and the ratings have been very, very good on that as well. We're always almost at 100, if not there. But the other thing that we're recognizing is, is there a way that caregivers may want to keep their individuals, their parents or others who are in our care, ongoing? And so do we move to a model where you can buy paramedic home visits in advance? Um, So there's a, a wide variety, and I've only just hit the tip of the iceberg. I can tell you there's three or four other areas that we're looking at right now of how can we expand and grow in other areas, uh, especially as geographically we expand through Florida. You have a lot coming down the pipeline. (laughs) Yes, yes. We're in the process now of actually bringing on some additional staffing to assist us because our growth has been uh, quite outstanding. Also with um, the HRSA grant to many of the federally qualified health clinics for both vaccines, COVID vaccines, which we've actually been providing, COVID testing. Uh, So we're also staffing some of that expansion now for the FQHCs. Um, So again, another approach because they're interested in using us the same way to keep their patients uh, happy, healthy, and at home. Awesome. Sounds like you're doing a lot of great work, Ken. Thank you for uh, taking the opportunity to share it with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Emily. Appreciate the time. And for our listeners, feel free to reach out to us at esokol at extelligentmedia.com. That's E-S-O-K-O-L at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts on this topic. You can also use that email address to tell us any healthcare-related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering in an upcoming podcast. 
We also invite you to go to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars and a positive review if you liked this episode. Thanks for listening. This has been an Intelligent Healthcare Media production. 